Hey friends, I'm Allie O'Grady and welcome to Thoughtful Human, the podcast. Today I'm talking about the subject that rocked my entire world back in 2011 and has played an active, evolving part of my life ever since. And that subject, of course, is grief. Now brace yourself for a startling fact on this topic. Are you ready? Everyone dies. A whopping 100% of all humans. Everyone from historic badasses to the seemingly invincible modern-day legends. And yes, even you, your parents, partners, friends, kids, and everyone to follow. Death is one of the only givens, pretty much the least personal, most common occurrence. Yet when it intimately touches you, it can feel like the most personal, most isolating, most wrongful assault on life as you know it. That's definitely how I took it when it happened to me. And a lot of that is because our culture still really sucks at understanding, empathizing with, and communicating around death and grief. I certainly couldn't wrap my head around it when I lost my dad, and I still struggle today to comfort those in the early and late stages of an intimate loss. And that's because grief is deeply personal. It's complex, dynamic, and relative to everyone's unique relationships and circumstances. In my own experience, it can bring you to your knees. It can bring you to a mountaintop. It can leave you super bitter and wallowing for months. It can inspire you to start a business. And it can breed some of the most powerful connections with yourself and those around you. Now, if you're freshly grieving and rolling your eyes at that statement like I would have been, let me be clear. I'm not here to offer platitudes or promise you silver linings. In fact, I said it at my father's service and I'll say it again. I believe that the good he would have done with the rest of his life would have far superseded any good that has come from his passing. But life simply didn't offer us that option. So yes, I'm here to reconcile and work with option B. I'm here to simply share some stories and normalize some of the thoughts and behaviors that may feel anything but normal when you're in the thick of it. Joining me today to talk more about this is Janine Kuo. Janine is the owner and designer of Quotations, a Brooklyn-based stationery company that celebrates the diversity of identities and life experiences with a distinct humor and empathy. She's also the author and illustrator of the forthcoming book, Welcome to the Grief Club, which addresses many of the surprising, confusing, brutal, funny, and downright bizarre parts of grief. Throughout our conversation, we discuss the unexpected loss of Janine's partner and the distinct challenges of navigating grief in your 20s. We talk about the evolution of grief from day one to year five and 10, to some of our most strange and inconsistent grief behaviors, moments of frustration, invincibility, and of course, some tips for those who are currently grieving and those supporting a loved one in this process. With that, please enjoy this conversation with Janine Kuo. So I had the pleasure of watching your video, which was beautiful, by the way. And so I was surprised to learn that you started your journey in finance and then have transitioned yourself into this totally other world that is obviously very different. Can you tell me a little bit about just how how that began in the first place? Sure. Yeah, so it's been... It's been a windy, a bit of a windy road. So I started out in finance, as you said. I was doing due diligence on private equity firms, 
um, which is about as far as you can get from making greeting cards about your feelings. Um, and I took that job mainly because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and it seemed like a good job right out of college. And I did it for three years. It was really challenging. I had a hard time um, with some of the cultural aspects of it. Um, but in hindsight, I, you know, I learned a lot from it. And then I left that job to work at a nonprofit because um, I realized that I needed to do something that I felt was more personally meaningful to me. So I worked at a nonprofit for six years doing um, impact measurement for nonprofit organizations uh, before doing quotations full time. So quotations, you know, it seems we share some similar goals in uh, the types of sentiments that we offer to the world, but it sounds like you really started off in helping people celebrate milestones, small and large. And then you had a big life transition that kind of led quotations down a bit of a different path. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so exactly like you said, and very similar to Thoughtful Human, I make greeting cards and other products that reflect and celebrate a diversity of identities and life experiences, um, always with humor and empathy. Um, and I try to lift up the things that I think a lot of us experience, um, but don't often talk about. And in 2016, I lost my partner, nap when we were both in our late 20s. So we were both 28. And he died very unexpectedly and suddenly. Um, he was the first person I loved who died. And I was the only person I knew my age to have lost a partner. I'm actually one of the few in my peer group to really have had any sort of significant loss. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and to be honest, I, I, I had never really thought about death or grief really in any sort of real way before it happened. It always seemed, I don't know, a little bit like outside the realm of possibility for us mm. at our age. And I, you know, I realized I had all of these preconceived notions of grief that I had somehow gleaned from movies, um, basically that like people are really sad and there are stages of grief. But my own experience was so different from that. It was so much harder and longer and more complicated and lonelier than I could have imagined and that I expected based on how we talk about or don't talk about grief. Um, yeah. So sort of as a way to process my own grief, I started making sympathy cards um, for all the things I wanted to say or thought I needed to hear sort of outside the general condolences and platitudes um, that people say. Wow, well, thank you first of all for sharing that. How, do, how does it feel now just talking about it? It's been really helpful to talk about my grief um, through the cards. Um, and the cards have really opened up a lot of conversations that I wasn't anticipating having. I think the fact that I sort of you know, shared my story first gives people a sort of permission to share their stories with me. Mm -hmm. And it's helped me to feel a lot less alone. I think 
everyone's experience with grief is different. Everyone's loss is different, but there are a lot of commonalities and we don't, at least I didn't realize how similar my experience was to other people's until I started talking about it. You mentioned that it was a lot different than this portrayal you'd seen in media. Uh, I'm curious if you can make that a little more real for people and you know whatever you're comfortable sharing, but a little bit about the evolution, like what day one, week one versus month one, year one looked like for you. And, and I'm happy to share some of that from my own, my own journey with grief as well, because uh, I think it is really important and interesting to share because it's so unique and so personal and so non-linear um, to just kind of give people, you know, that comfort that it really does vary quite a bit. So for you, can you tell us a little bit about, about what that felt like early on and then how, how things have evolved? Sure. I mean, like I said, I, I think what I had before NAP died, if you had asked me what I thought I would feel, I would say, I think I would feel really sad. I think I would feel devastated, um, which is how I felt. But on top of that, I felt so many other emotions that I wasn't expecting. So I was really angry mm-hmm. at him, at the universe, just at everyone around me. You know, if someone said something or didn't say something, it just like it all seemed wrong. I felt really guilty. Um, I felt uh, like apathy. Sometimes I just like felt a sense of numbness to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt joy, um, which was also strange. And I felt like all of those. So it was like, I wasn't expecting the number of emotions. I wasn't expecting the volatility of them mm-hmm. or to feel all of them at the same time. And then I also didn't expect for it to last that long. I don't know. I mean, it seems, I mean, it's such a huge thing to happen. It is understandable for us to be dealing with it for a long time in some ways for us to always carry it with us. But I do think there is this idea that, you know, the first year is the hardest. And then after you've gone through everything once, um, you're like, okay. And, you know, people go back to work quickly. People go back to their lives very, very quickly. And so there's sort of this unspoken It feels like there's this unspoken understanding that like you will be basically okay a few weeks, a few months um, after the death. And in my experience, that's definitely not been the case. I think now, you know, five years later, my grief does feel very different. It's not so much at the forefront of my everyday. You know, I think about him every day, but he's not what I think about all the time. His death isn't what I think about all the time. So it has kind of softened, I guess, mm-hmm. into this a little bit more enduring sense of loss rather than a really acute sense of grief that I felt. But, you know, I feel I feel fundamentally different as a person. And, you know, I, I don't see how you can, I mean, I'm interested to hear what you think, but I just don't think you can go through something like that and come out the same. No, you cannot. And it's one of my greatest frustrations in life that we just can't arrive, you know, in, in these moments and with this consciousness and awareness without the most horrible things happening. And there's this really great clip. I don't know if you've seen it with Stephen Colbert and Anderson Cooper, where they talk about not, I don't, I want it to not have happened, but it had to happen. And you have to be grateful for 
it all somehow because it gives you this empathy that allows you to have connection and meaning in so many other ways. And, you know, I've thought about it a lot over the last, for me, almost 10 years. Uh, and of course, if I could go back, I would want to and try to change it. And then it, you ask all these questions about, but how could I, how could I be me? This has, is a, such a huge part of who I am and has shaped my identity and relationships in such profound ways. So yeah, that's a, will be, continue to be a lifelong, um, you know, conundrum for me, but it has certainly evolved as you've described. Um, you know, I was even thinking when you say, you know, how long, you know, how long it would last, you're five years in, which I was just looking at in your timeline. And for me, some of my, I was just starting to have some breakthroughs in my journey with grief at year five. I felt like I was clinging so desperately to my, to my grief and suffering until I sort of um, reached this point and made this conscious decision that I needed to make space in my head and heart for happiness and that holding on so tightly to my to my suffering didn't mean what I thought it meant. I thought it meant if I let go of any parts of my dad and our relationship that we weren't as close as I thought we were. You know, I looked at other people and I'm like, if they're happy, then, you know, clearly they didn't have, you know, what we had. Like, I thought that I was making meaning out of my suffering. And um, so that was a big awakening for me about five years in where I, where I really had to decide that it didn't mean that and that I could let go of certain pieces. But I mean, I can remember from the very beginning, just the, you know, in, in my circumstance, my father passed of cancer. And so we didn't, he had a 10 year journey with it. So we didn't know, you know, the particular month that he was going to die, but it became clear at a certain point that, um, you know, he, he entered hospice and, so watching and waiting for someone to pass is certainly different than a, an abrupt loss. Um, but just that first minute, day, week, you're like, this is the first hour of the rest of my life without this human. And, and sitting with this concept of forever, I think for me, that was one of the really big challenges straight out the gate. I just couldn't even wrap my head. As an impatient person who just you know always wants to get things done, you can't get it done. There's nothing to do. You're like, oh my gosh, this is a quite an undertaking. Um, so that was kind of one of just my my early responses. For you, you know, on a day to day basis, what did what did your first couple weeks and months look like? And what did you find? Like you you mentioned some things helpful, some things you rejected. You know, did you want people around you? Did you want to be alone? Uh, what did that look like for you? To be honest, I. <laughs> I don't remember a lot of it. I feel, and people do say this and I had never experienced it until, you know, after he died, but I, I feel like I lost chunks of time. I just feel like I blacked out mm -hmm. parts of that year. Um, it's all a bit of a blur. Um, but I, you know, I went back to work very quickly. I, you know, I, I think I, had three days of bereavement leave. I took maybe a week, and then I and then I went back to work. And three days um, of leave. I think so. Yeah, and then oh yeah, and then I took some, which is, I think maybe standard. I mean, I think they're, uh, 
are changes we need to, we need to make to our bereavement leave policies in terms of the length and also who they cover. Um, wow. Yeah, but I you know I I could have taken more time if I wanted, but it was also a bit of a personal choice for me to go back to work, partly because I just I didn't know what to do with myself. So that felt helpful at the time. Just being moving. So. I think I just didn't know what I needed. Um, yeah. Like I said, it was, I wanted to be alone, but I also just didn't want to be alone. I, <laughs> I wanted to be distracted, but I also couldn't really work. You know, I cried a lot at work. Um, so I think I was just, I felt a bit stuck. Like there was, there wasn't much that could make it feel better. I mean, kind of like you said, I felt very helpless. Like it felt very surreal, like on an intellectual level. I knew that he was dead and I know that death is final, but I, I just, I could not, um, I don't know, like emotionally or like fully come to terms with that. It took me a while. Yeah. I even felt this actual just rejection and complete aversion to talking about him in the past tense. Like there was this assumption, it, it assumes some acceptance of that permanence, right? That now we've moved from something that exists to something that is past. And I was, couldn't, it felt like physically jarring. I couldn't talk to people. I was mad and offended. <laughs> and of course, you know, people don't know that. They don't know how to react to you or change English and how you speak about people who are no longer here. But just so many unexpected things like that, where I'm like, why am I having this, like, you know, disgust over this person who's trying to be kind and doesn't realize that they're like putting a dagger in my heart right now? <laughs> so. Yeah, it's really, it's really hard. And having been on both sides of it, like I, I don't think there's anything anybody could have really said to be the perfect thing. And so, you know, I, I think it's important to just say something. Absolutely. I've, I've found, and I'm curious, you know, you and I have a similar experience in that we, um, you know, share our grief and as such get to hear from a lot of people who are going through difficult things. I'm curious what you see as some of the biggest challenges and roadblocks for others. I think it's hard to say something to someone who is grieving or going through anything hard because I think when we're, you know, we're not used to it. We don't generally do it as a society. And so it's uncomfortable. Um, so that's one. And two, and kind of relatedly, I think we, because we don't do it, we don't really know what to say, you know? And I think people, I don't think people don't say things because they don't care. I think on the contrary, they don't say things because they don't wanna make it worse. They don't wanna say the wrong thing. They don't wanna make you sad. And then some of it is just that we just can't carry each other's sadness or emotions in like with the same amount of intensity. Mm -hmm. you no, know? um, I find that, you know, like you just have to, you get consumed by your own life, uh, which is understandable. And so I think that's also why people sort of drop off over time. But I think having conversations similar to this one, the space you're creating on this podcast are important because I think the more conversations we have, the more it becomes normalized and the more comfortable we get talking about these hard subjects. Yeah, absolutely. I think to your first point, you know, this, there is so much fear about making something worse. And I have tried to dig a little bit deeper into that because I, 
still struggle all the time to talk to people who are freshly grieving. There is, I mean, you can't fix it. You can't bring people back from the dead. You can't mend what is such a deep and fresh wound for people. And they're not even ready. You know, you can't even start to offer anything when it, you know, people aren't even ready to process or be in a past tense. You just really do have to feel through some of that initial pain. But beyond that, uh, when people are really afraid, I'm like, what is that? What are we, what is the fear? Is it an um, awkward silence? Is it we think we're going to say something and there's going to be this moment where, you know, is that actually, are you afraid for them? Are you afraid for you that you are just going to be lingering there and not and wondering if it was the right or wrong thing? Is it saying, you know, quote unquote, the wrong thing and then and then what, you know, I, I, I want to like push people to get past that because there's an opportunity with all of those things. Like you can course correct. So you don't have to be afraid to make that mistake. Although I will say it's likely not a mistake. You, you can say, did that, you know, did that resonate with you? It seems like maybe it didn't. That was something that um, one of my other guests suggested in real time, which to me was like such a duh thing to realize that I'd never felt, you know, you just sense these moments of discomfort and that maybe you're off and then you just don't address it and you run away and you never talk about it again. And I think that really, when you think about what is preventing so many people from, from having these conversations, a lot of it is that, and just saying, you know, I'm not going to get this right, but I'm going to keep trying. And, um, or, you know, I'm going to keep asking you if you want me to keep trying until you, until you tell me I'm annoying you and then maybe I'll, I'll lay off. So, yeah. And then the second piece that you, that you mentioned there is the, um, you know, the fatigue and like, yeah, you can't carry the full intensity of someone's grief over time. I think that I didn't, I didn't understand what I needed for sure when I was uh, definitely in the early stages of my grief. And I don't know what I expected from others, but that has become very clear to me that everyone, you know, yes, we need support. Yes, we should be open about it. But at the end of the day, some of these things, you know, people can't fix and it is a really personal journey and you can't, I guess, just uh, managing your own expectations in the process of just one people's familiarity. It's so foreign to people, especially, you know, our age. For me, I was 22 when I lost my dad and nobody is speaking the language of death and grief. And, um, I remember talking to my partner at the time and being like, no, but, but what happens when you die? And he was like, so overwhelmed by the intensity with which I wanted to talk about this. And he's like, I can't talk about this. And I'm like, I can't not talk about this. He was here. Now he's not. I, I mean, I was panicking <laughs> and I'm like, how is, it was this, um, it was wild. I was like, I can't believe everyone's just moving on and living and not talking about the fact that we did this. How do we not talk about this question all the time, every day? It's so consuming when you're in it. And for others, it's very overwhelming. If they haven't had to face that, if they're not ready to, you know, kind of start to look at these things and existentially and emotionally, spiritually. So yeah, I think you don't realize um, that it can actually be triggering on the other end as well. Um, if people, if people aren't there yet. Yeah, I relate so much to everything you just said. And I, I felt that way. You know, obviously I talk about grief a lot now, but it felt, 
almost a bit like a compulsion right after, uh, right mm. after he died, where just everything related back to him and everything related back to his death, like whatever we were talking about. And I just had to talk about it. And, you know, I have, I'm lucky I have a really great support network and I have wonderful friends um, who really showed up for me, you know, even if they had not had a loss themselves, but it is, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot for the people, for the people around you. Um, but I, yeah, I definitely leaned really heavily on and still do on my friends and my sister and, and my partner now. Um, and I, you know, I also went to therapy, which, and I'm a huge proponent of that. It's a very personal choice, but I, um, I have found it really helpful throughout different stages of my life. And for me, that was really helpful because it was a, like a very dedicated space mm -hmm. for me to freely and like guiltlessly talk about it without feeling like I was being a burden um, on those around me. So that's another Absolutely. Uh, person that I turn to. Yeah, I think that's super important. It's just holding that space that gives a little bit of relief to that immediacy and, um, you know, what you call a compulsion or urgency and talking about it with other people, you can, you know, to some extent, put it in a box or put it aside so that you can function in the moment or be present in your work or whatever, but then unpack that on Wednesday when you have your session. <laughs> That's such an important thing yeah. if, um, if you're able to and can be such a relief um, also to those around you just to be helping yourself. And because they're, they're not professionals and people are afraid that like, maybe I am hurting this process somehow. So yeah, I didn't get in regular therapy right away, um, but I have since been in therapy for several years and found it definitely very helpful and I'm a big proponent as well. Uh, you said something in your video that resonated with me. You said something about your baseline changes when you lose someone close to you and that, that things that scared you didn't scare you anymore. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think that's one of the ways in which I think I've changed as a person. Just, you know, everything just got turned upside down when that died. And I hate to talk about silver linings <laughs> mm -hmm. when we're talking about death or or you know any hard life experience but it does it gives you a perspective of what matters at the end and I th I think I have a, a clarity in priorities and things that I thought were really terrible if they happened to me if I lost a job or something like that now are I put in like the bucket of okay right you know? <laughs> like after you experience such a horrible loss I feel like I have a much yeah I, I think I'm clear on my priorities in life like what is meaningful to me like how do I want to spend my time who do I want to spend my time with and also you know I'm just less scared of other things because they just in comparison I feel like they'll be okay absolutely I feel that way as well I think I was a little maybe even dramatic about it in the beginning and like couldn't I couldn't even understand why anyone cared about anything that wasn't death I'm like oh yeah you broke up okay there he's still in the universe with you <laughs> and over time have recalibrated and understand that 
pain is relative and still very real in other forms. But I, I also felt this sort of a sense of liberation. And you, you talk about unexpected feelings. You know, I had feared losing my dad to cancer since I was like 13 years old. And it was the worst thing I could possibly imagine happening. And then it happened. And then it was like, oh, well, what now? Like, I almost felt this recklessness, like in probably, I don't know, a healthy and unhealthy way of not, not reckless with my, with my life or others, but just like, I knew that there wasn't going to be anything for a long time that could cut me as deeply. And so then to a certain extent, I was free. I was like, oh, okay. And uh, that was just a really interesting part of the process in, in, uh, and, and I realized on the other end, you know, created some fear in me about developing other close relationships and things that I loved as much that I could set myself up to lose again. Have you felt yeah. that? Yeah, I was just going to say, I, <laughs> I should say that I feel more fearless in some aspects, but I also have this newfound fear and sort of hypervigilance around losing someone I love again. Mm -hmm. um, so it's something that I think a lot about and something that I struggle with a lot still. This, um, you know, the phone rings and my immediate thought mm -hmm. is that someone has died. Mm -hmm. Someone doesn't call me back and I'm immediately like something has happened. Mm -hmm. um, so I live with a lot of that type of fear now that I didn't have before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's hard not to. And I mean, life is very fragile. You, you realize that as well. And we culturally feel this entitlement to a long life and to things like closure. And that's not always the case. And, you know, you can't live in this prolonged state of, you know, live like you're dying and um, maximize every moment. That's also exhausting and unrealistic. But certainly the perspective and understanding that we are not entitled to health and longevity is, is a big shift, I think, in relationships. I've even thought a lot about that with my mom. I spent so many years obsessing over my dad's health and then my dad's loss. And then, you know, I'm like, my mom's just been here this whole time. And I, I constantly have to work to remind myself of like, oh yeah, you can feel exactly the same way about this other wonderful human who is right here and be present. And it's hard. It's still hard, I think. So with quotations, you're artist, entrepreneur, and writer. And that's how I would probably describe you first. Uh, I don't know if you agree with that, but when I read your sentiments, especially in greeting card land, um, they're probably considered long form, some of them. And yes. <laughs> those are the ones that I really love. And, you know, you do that to help people, you know, find comfort and community in what you call the grief club. And I'm going to read a little excerpt from one of your cards that, that I really like. It's abridged, but it says, um, though our losses and experiences are all unique, there are those of us who get it. We really do. We know what it's like for everything to fundamentally irreparably change in an instant. We don't have answers, but we'll listen without judgment or platitudes. We don't have roadmaps, but it's often less scary to be lost together. 
And if you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel yet, we'll show up waving flashlights until you do for as long as it takes. So I really love that. I don't know of all your, of all your lines, how you feel about me pulling this one, but um, this idea of, you know, fundamental irreparable change in an instant that feels so personal, so unique, like no one could ever understand until, like you said, you meet someone who understands. Um, so can you tell me a little bit more just about what you describe as the grief club and how you try to welcome people into this space? Yeah, so the grief club for me is just anyone who's had a significant loss and however you define that for yourself. And I do, I do think grief is something that is really hard or maybe impossible for someone to understand until they've been through it. And like I said before, like anyone who's had a loss, like all of our losses are different. Who we lost is different. Even if we're grieving the same person, our loss is different. Our grief is different. You know, each person's grief will change over time. And yet there are a lot of similarities, I think, to our experiences. Um, and I think it's worth, I think it's worth sharing our stories with each other because I think it makes us all feel less alone. It makes it, it makes it easier, you know, and I do think there is something to finding people who've, who are in this grief club. I think for me, that's something that I've found a lot of comfort in. People who just like, they get it, you know, I don't, <laughs> mm -hmm. and kind of like, like we, we follow each other for a while. We've met once in person and yet like, I feel so comfortable with you just like jumping into talking about this <laughs> mm -hmm. you know and I think that's because there is like a there is a common understanding there is a common human experience there um, that is really important yeah and hopefully a lack of judgment right for whatever comes there was another line I had written down in your permission to grieve card that said I don't have the whole thing written here but um, that you had permission to feel better without feeling guilty about feeling better. And you have permission to still feel shitty without feeling guilty about feeling shitty. And yeah, just as grace for each other in our process. I think they're, you know, from an outside perspective, a lot of people have ideas about what they think it should look like when you're sad. I remember in my first few days or weeks, even I had I had, I went on a, I went on a date with someone I didn't know very well. And I just, in retrospect, I'm like, what the hell was that about? And I just wanted to like feel normal for a second. And it was like somebody who just didn't know what was happening. And I was like, yeah, that will, well, I'm just going to like go have a regular dinner and like totally check out and do this thing. And to other people, of course, if you heard somebody say that, you'd be like, what? How can you even get out the door? It's like, I remember my family, uh, well, my step family at the time that I was living with, we went out to lunch. I remember like, we all like took tequila shots at like a, a very early time of day, like an inappropriate time of day, probably where other people would be like, are they, are they partying? Like what's happening? It's like, no, we're surviving <laughs> what this looks like. And, and maybe seems like to you, if, if you might get, you probably get it. If you've been through it, you do some unusual, unpredictable things at different points in the process. And that's just what it is. People cope in all, all kinds of different ways. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, differently, but similarly, I was like, well, I'll just go back to work now, you know, because <laughs> that right. seems like some semblance of routine and normalcy. I also went on a disastrous first date after an app that I think it was just about the one year mark. But all, and all I did was talk about him and death and grief. And I think I cried and my date cried and it was terrible. <laughs> People love that. They love it on the first date. <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, I think there's something to, to like talking talking to people who get it. I've been, I don't know if you know of the dinner party. No. But it's an organization um, for people in their 20s and 30s who've had a significant loss. And um, they set you up with people in your area and you have these like monthly dinners mm. and you just kind of like talk about life and then you talk about grief and death. And it's been, I've been part of my table, I think since 2018. So they've become actually good life friends. But I remember my first meeting, I went and again, this was like maybe a year and a half after Nap died and everyone else in my life had kind of, you know, we've gone back to, I had seemingly gone back to normal and stopped talking about it all the time. And it seemed like it was time for me to move on. And, you know, I introduced myself and I said I lost my partner like a year and a half ago. And everyone's first reaction was like, that's so recent. Like, that's so fresh. Like, of yeah. course, you're still devastated. And it was, I don't even know if they knew, but it was such an important moment for me because I was like, oh, like, it is so recent. I'd like to say that for you still. I still feel like it's very recent and um, give you that validation for, you know, whatever you're feeling today and, you know, this year. I mean, the part that you don't realize too is that life presents all these new things that give you new ways to grieve that you didn't even know existed when you lost your person, right? Like COVID is a great example. I'm like, oh my God, like, what would my dad have said about COVID? Like, I have so many questions. Like he, even just to like thinking about that person's mind being blown in the way that yours is being blown watching the world unfold and politics unfold, like things that you just didn't even realize you'd miss, like that are created over time, right? And then you have the opposite, yeah. the things you think you'll, you know, you'll miss like a wedding or milestones that you're not going to have with a parent or a partner. Something that was really helpful to me that I just wanted to share, because if you did, if no one said this to you or, or someone else who's grieving before, I think it's really helpful. Um, I had a therapist who just it really gently told me that anticipatory grief is not necessarily helpful, right? Like, yes, you are going to be sad in a lot of moments and a lot of milestones and you're gonna feel this void and be sad in those moments, but you don't need to make yourself sad a hundred times in anticipation of a sad moment. <laughs> and to me, that was a big awakening. I'm like, oh, okay, right. So we will take a moment on these big days and we will process the pain of that absence but I don't need to drag myself through this just at the mere thought or possibility of something being sad in the future so it kind of goes both both ways when you know just as as the process evolves yeah I think that's really good advice 
I'm especially so, in light of what we were talking about, like, you know, being afraid of the next bad thing happening, which is something I think about a lot. And it's like, we can't, we don't know what it's going to be. We can't prevent it. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, I think that, you know, a big theme for me around grief and loss has just been control. I think I'm naturally a pretty controlling person, unfortunately, or, or think I'm controlling or want control and thought I was controlling the, my father's fate. And that was a real slap in the face that I, in fact, was not in charge of, of his life or death. Um, but again, is, you know, somewhat freeing, like there are going to be a lot of things that are out of our control and scary, but yeah, again, this focus, you know, and kind of surrender to only what's in our control and we, we can do hard things and we we've done them before and we'll do them again. And, and you'll take them one second and day at a time if, and when they come. So what started as the grief club cards is evolving into the grief club book. Is that the title? Welcome yes. The, so the title is welcome to the grief club. First of all, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, one, just how has that process been for you? And then two, are you willing to share just a high level, kind of the course of the book and what you hope it will offer for people? Sure. So the book is an illustrated book on grief for adults uh, or for anyone really who's had um, a loss. And it's a mix of very short digestible writings and illustrations um, and diagrams. And, you know, I'm not an expert on grief. I'm just a person who has lost someone she loved. And so the book isn't a how-to guide on grief. It's really just I think of it as a companion that's like, here are things that you may be feeling and experiencing. And if you are like, you're not alone and it's okay. And it's, you know, I try to be really honest in the book about the experience. And I talk about the surprising and confusing and just the bizarre parts of grief that I think, again, a lot of us experience, but we don't often, isn't often acknowledged. And it's, you know, and I, I chose kind of short writings and illustrations because I think it's really hard to absorb a lot of, a lot of information, especially when you're in the acute parts of grief. And so it's got illustrations and writings, but you can kind of hop around. You can open it up to a random page. It's kind of in sections, but it's not linear because grief isn't linear. So it's really just a, uh, a compilation, I guess, of, of, thoughts um, and experiences that I've collected about grief. I love that. I too am not an expert. Just lovely disclaimer for everyone listening, just some people who've lost some people and felt some feelings. I'm curious, do you distinguish in the book or just in life between different types of grief, romantic, familial, parent-child, collective grief, you know, racially, socially, What's your take on that? So I think broadly, I think of grief as sort of any kind of loss. It can be losing someone you love. Um, It could be the loss of a home, stability, loss of a job. Mm -hmm. For the purpose of the book, I define sort of anyone who's in the grief club as someone who's grieving the death of someone they love, because that's just the audience for whom I primarily wrote the book. 
I don't talk about different types of loss because I think they each have their own special considerations and I felt like I couldn't do them justice in the book. And in some cases, I just didn't have the personal experience to feel like I could write about it in like a, in a nuanced, accurate way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't go specifically in different types of loss, so I do name that they exist. Um, what I do talk about in the book is that all types of loss are valid. Um, so this is something that I struggled with because I felt like I, I fell kind of in this in-between group. So Nap and I were in a romantic relationship. We had been together for two and a half years. We were in our 20s. So I didn't feel like I fit in the like widows support group. Mm. It's like mostly older people, some of them mm-hmm. with children, you're married. I didn't feel like I had lost a friend. In some ways, I feel like there are some types of losses where people instantly recognize the significance of that loss. Yes. So if you lost a child or a parent, um, and like saying like, I lost like this partner in my twenties, I feel like for me, I struggled with how valid my grief was. So in the book, I do talk about that. Like no matter what your loss was, no matter what your relationship was, if it was complicated, mm-hmm. if it was short, if it was long, like it doesn't matter. Like your loss is real and your your grief is real. Mm-hmm. I think that's super important. And, then, and I think a lot of people share that frustration probably that you, you know, feel like you almost have to qualify why someone was relevant and hopefully you know younger generations we're trending to towards you know getting married later or not getting married at all and that doesn't signify the depth of a relationship in quite the same way but I think definitely generationally that it's looked upon that way and important for people to recognize that you know the loss is as deep to the individual as it is to the individual in the relationship. Um, I found, you know, I I get questions a lot about specific kinds of cards around, you know, miscarriage versus a loss to different specific types of diseases. And um, my approach is is generally that that grief is grief and loss is a loss. I think that there, however, there's absolutely a need and value for connecting with others and finding community around your specific type of loss. Um, I think the the ideas of how we can show up and create space for people's feelings is relevant across types of grief. But um, I too kind of felt lost in between. I was 22 and um, so, you know, wasn't like this little kid that, you know, people were like, oh, you know, we're worried about the kids, but, um, you know, didn't, didn't fall in these other groups. Like, you know, my stepmother who was widowed and had people, you know, with that experience. And it is really hard. So I think that, was it dinner parties that you mentioned? Mm-hmm, um, the dinner party. It is a, I mean, super awesome organization, it sounds like, and fills a really important need uh, for people who are going through it. Um, so I know we've touched on some of them, but I would love for you to just leave us with a couple of your biggest takeaways or tips for both people who are themselves grieving and people who are supporting others who are grieving. 
for so for people who are grieving and it sounds so simple but i would say like give yourself permission to grieve you know it your grief will look different from everyone else's it'll be different hour by hour like year over year and that's okay like there is truly no right or wrong way to grieve there's truly no timeline for grief so give yourself like the space and the grace and the permission to grieve like however it shows up for you and you know again it sounds basic but it's something that I really struggled with like I felt like oh I should be over this by now you know I should be less sad I should be more sad I should be talking about it more talking about it less and you know I think it's hard enough without putting all of that on yourself. So yeah, I hope people just feel like they can feel all of their feelings um, without feeling bad about it. And secondly, and we've talked about this, you know, ask for help. Grieving is so hard. It's so lonely. It's so much to do by yourself. So, you know, ask for help from whoever your support network is, like whoever they may be friends, family, other grief club members, therapy. Um, I got back on antidepressants for a bit to help me just get some space. And again, that's very personal, but I just wanted to put that out there. Yeah. In case anyone feels like that's right for them. I think that is, you know, you just have to do what you have to do to survive. And I think asking for help is always a good idea. For people who are supporting people who are grieving, don't be afraid to say something. Say something. <laughs> um, there's no perfect thing to say. There's nothing you can say really that will change their circumstances. So you can just say, I'm sorry. This is so hard. I'm here. I'm listening. Um, like I want to be here. And I think that's enough. I mean, that's so much. I don't remember exactly what people said to me, but I remember people who said something. Mm-hmm. And even just something to be said about your energy and presence. And I don't mean your physical presence. I mean, like your attentive, active listening and just feeling like you're actually being heard, whether somebody says something back at all, like you, you can feel that. I feel like that is one of the most valuable things and things that you don't really articulate, but just need in some of those moments. Yeah, definitely. Um, And then I think there's something really important about um, showing up like months later, years later, like keep showing up because I think right after someone dies, there's this initial outpouring of support and condolences and then you know, people go back to their own lives and that can in some ways be a harder period. And, you know, like we've talked about grief lasts a long time. So like check in on the anniversary, check in randomly months later um, and just let them know that you're still thinking about them and you know that they're still grieving. I think that's also really important. Yeah, write write those dates down. They do matter. (laughs) I don't ever get upset with people who don't remember a you know something like a grief anniversary but again like you said it it really does it can be really impactful when people do remember so for sure 
Well, thank you so much for opening your heart and sharing a, a piece of your story. And thank you so much for sharing your work with the world. I am really excited for you. Can you please tell people where they can find quotations uh, on social and where and when they can find your book? Sure. So you can find me online at quotations, K-W-O-H, quotations. Um, I'm uh, online and on Instagram. Welcome to the Grief Club. The book will be out in February with Workman Publishing. Um, so I'll be posting about it then too. But thank you so much for having me on. It was so lovely to see you and to chat. And thank you again for creating the space for these types of conversations. Absolutely. And really for anyone who is struggling with the words, um, she's she said a lot of words today, but she has a lot of really beautifully stated things. And if you don't know what to say, whether you buy, buy her, you should buy her products, but whether you buy them or just need inspiration for things to say or do, um, go, go check it out. There's a lot, there's a lot there to help you in your process as well. So thank you so much. And yeah, have a lovely rest of your day. Thanks, Hallie. You too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Thoughtful Human. If you or someone you know has insight to share on navigating grief, let us know. We'd love to hear what has or hasn't been helpful for you and always welcome your feedback at hello at thoughtfulhuman.co. And whatever grief looks like for you today, try to have some grace and compassion for how your mind and body are responding and working to protect you. As we mentioned, it can also be super helpful to find others with relevant experiences who actually get what you're going through. And of course, if you're really struggling, please, please reach out and ask for help from those around you or a mental health professional. As a supporter of someone who's grieving right now, it can be incredibly helpful to just remove some of those small barriers for someone who might not be able to take those steps for themselves. For instance, making a list of therapists that are either covered by your loved one's insurance or within their budget can be a huge help making the actual intake appointment. So all they have to do is pick up the phone and make the call. Or when all else fails, just ask and ask again. How can I help? Do you wanna talk about it? I'm here. And finally, if you or a loved one needs access to a month of free therapy, you can visit betterhelp.com thoughtfulhuman.